It is great to have you guys here. I want to say a special hello to all of our campuses. Thank you for being a part of our services today. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. Grateful for you. I was given a note, by the way, this is great. Uh, Pastor Nick, who leads our God Behind Bars ministry, texted me last Thursday. They had their first Garza West meeting, and it was their very first time to have a campus open in that, that part of the prison. And so we are so excited. We had 154 men show up, and 102 received Christ the first night. Wow. Incredible. I'm so proud of them. I was telling Pastor Nick to tell his whole team, they're just doing an amazing job. I tell Pastor Nick, every time I see him, I said, you've been in and out of jail again, haven't you? He's like, I have, Pastor, every week. And so anyways, God's really using him in a profound way. And he also leads our Rockport campus. And so we're proud of Rockport too. They got a new location right now, by the way. New temporary spot, yeah. They're doing really well. Rockport, we love you guys. God's really doing something special at all of our campuses. And we're excited because we're hoping by Easter, Rockport's new building will be open. And so that is promise made and promise kept. We're on our way to doing that. Very excited about that as well. So, hey, do me a favor, take out your notes if you would. Now, if you're wondering like, where are my notes? They're actually digital now. So what you need to do is pull out your phone. Hopefully it's a smartphone. Hopefully it's not a rotary dial that you unplugged and brought with you in your purse. That'd be really awkward. So anyways, pull out your smartphones. And if you'll download Church Unlimited's app, the notes are on the app. And so you can have those. They're already there waiting for you. So please get the app today. If you are at the Apple store or the Android store, those of you who are still behind the times, it's okay. You'll catch up eventually. It's all right. So just kidding. Anyway, so either way, please get the notes. And so use, uh, utilize our app today. And so we want you to do that. So very excited about this new series, Book of Revelation. There's so much content that Frank Frankly, it makes it hard to, to fit it all in. So I'm just going to be honest with you. Basically, I've got four weeks to squeeze the entire book of Revelation in. Ain't going to happen. What I'm going to do is hit some highlights because there's just so much there. But don't worry. We'll come back around in a couple of years and do it again. But we are going to hit some highlights. And so I'm going to try to point out some things I did not talk about last time I talked about Revelation. There's so much here, so much content. But for you to understand Revelation, you have to understand a real simple thing. And that is that almost everything in the book of Revelation is about symbolism and, and numbers. So that's why some of it seems confusing is because there's a lot of symbols and numbers all throughout the book of Revelation. There's actually a lot of that throughout the entire Bible. There's more of it in the book of Revelation because God's putting a big bow on history. So he's kind of like completing everything. So that's why there seems to be more of that in the book of Revelation than any other book. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we go any further, though, let's say our mission statement together. What do we here to do as a church? We're to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. So I'm gonna just dive right in. There's so much content to cover, but the book of Revelation is such an intriguing and interesting book, and there's a lot of mysteries to reveal. So today's message is called The Mysteries of the Throne of God Revealed. Now, if you go to Revelation chapter one through three, it talks about John being in the spirit. God began to speak to him about things that were to come. He speaks a lot to what, what, what are called the seven churches, which is really just seven categories of Christians basically. And typically Christians congregate with groups of people like themselves. They, they form churches typically. And so he's speaking to the seven churches. I'm going to withhold talking about that today because Pastor Craig Rochelle, my mentor, will be here next week talking about one of those seven churches. You do not want to miss it. I know there's a lot of hype about him being here because he's a best-selling author and he's got the number one leadership podcast in America and all that stuff. But my reason I'm excited about this here, can I just be honest with you, is because this man has helped me become a better pastor. He's helped me become, frankly, a better man. And so I'm honored to have him in the house next week. He's going to do an amazing job. The reason why God's blessed his ministry so much is because of the content he delivers is so powerful. Do not miss next week. It's incredible. Yes, all the hype is true about him. He pastors the largest church in America, all that stuff. But the truth is, the reason it's so large is because it's that good. 
And so you don't want to miss next week. So be sure to be here for that. So I'm going to skip straight to Revelation 4. And the reason why is because most theologians agree that Revelation 4 is the beginning point of the book of Revelation from the understanding theologically the rest of it. And the reason why is because this is where the throne room of God is. This is where we actually enter into the very presence of a physical being God as well as a spiritual being God. So let's pick up in Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to start diving into some of those mysteries and understanding it better. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Doesn't that just sound amazing to be in the very presence of God? This is John writing this, John the Apostle. He's the one who wrote the book of Revelation, also called John the Revelator. The Revelator or Revelation just means the book of apocalypse, the book of ending, of the ending of the world. That's what it actually means. But he says, hey, I've been, I was taken up in the spirit into the very throne room of God. And so in this moment, we see he stands before God himself. And so it's hard to quite grasp what this must have looked like. But let me just give you a couple of points here. Jasper, by the way, it talked about two gemstones in particular, Jasper and Carnelian. Those are both unique gemstones because both of those were on the first and the last of the gemstones on the breastplate of the high priest. And so for the, for the, uh, for the, for the throne to be made of that speaks to the fact that the high priest is a mediator between God and his people, and that this throne will be where that mediation is happening. So that's why it would speak of those, those specific gemstones. Jasper actually means to polish, and so it basically speaks of perfection. It's, it's the most polishable of all gemstones. It can shine the best, and so it speaks of perfection. And carnelian uh, literally means precious. So we are in the precious, perfect presence of God. An artist's rendering, I thought, may help you understand what this must have looked like. So I want to show you a picture real quick that includes all the biblical aspects of this throne room. So here's the picture. So we see the throne, which you can hardly look in the face of God because of his perfection, his brilliance. You can't see it in this picture because it's not meant to be seen, but God is there, so is Jesus sitting by his side. Then you see these four creatures. We're going to talk about what those mean in a moment. Then you see the 24 elders gathered around. And then behind them is the choir. What I don't like about this picture is it doesn't capture the expanse of heaven, but we had to try to put it all in one picture. So it does give you an image of what it must have been like, what it must be like to be in the very throne room of God. There is a physical place where God resides. He's spiritually everywhere, of course, but he's also physically in this place. And this is where he essentially runs the world, runs the universe. And this is where he runs that from. The first thing you need to know is this. Would you write this down? God himself is on his throne and he's being worshiped. He's not going to be worshiped. He is being worshiped. And so right now, as we speak, you may say, well, of course he's being worshiped. We're in here in church worshiping him. Yes, it's true. We're worshiping him from earth, but even the very presence of God at the throne room, there's constant worship. I want to mention this too, because some of you may be uncomfortable with worship. Maybe there's something that you're not really into. You may want to learn what it is to worship because you're going to be doing it for the rest of eternity. So maybe something you want to get a little comfortable with. And so, because we are going to worship God. Now, I don't believe that's the only thing we're going to do in heaven, but there are moments that clearly we do gather to worship the Lord, and he certainly is deserving of that. And so maybe that should change the way we worship today, shouldn't it? That one day we will be in front of the perfect God, worshiping him with him right in front of our face, that maybe we should get used to worshiping him now. 
And so God uh, deserves our worship. Look what happens next. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. <laughs> There's so much imagery here. I want to kind of break it down if I can, just, just phrase by phrase. So first of all, you've got 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones. They had gold crowns on their, on their heads. Now, now, what I believe is this, number two, the 24 elders are representatives of God's entire people. Either it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, which would total 24 of the New Testament, um, or it can be seen as the 24 courses of Jewish priesthood, which is spelled out in Deuter Deuteronomy. I personally believe it is the 24 elders. Uh, the 24 elders are the 12 tribes, tribal leaders, and the 12 apostles. And my reasoning for that is based upon Isaiah 24. Let me explain something. When you, can't, when you don't know what one verse means, you interpret it through other verses. So you try to put those together. That's, that's how you do expositional scripture. Basically, how you study scripture is you say, well, this verse seems a little weird to me. What does that mean? Then you go look at what other verses say about it. Isaiah says this, he will rule in great glory in Jerusalem in the sight of all the leaders of his people. So if he's gonna rule from his throne room, right, uh, in front of all his people, then these, 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 these elders must represent all of God's people. That would be incomplete without the New Testament apostles. It would be also incomplete without 12 tribal leaders. So I believe that's what it's referring to. There are 24 courses in the priesthood. What that means is that I believe that these elders would have already known all that wisdom. And so, so just put it all together. Number two, 24 elders are representatives of God's entire people, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. And I believe it could be both the 24 courses of the priesthood and that altogether. Now, let me show you another verse here because another thing is confusing. It says there are seven torches of burning flames and the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, how many of you are a little confused going, wait a minute, I thought there was only one spirit of God. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, isn't there just one Holy Spirit? There is. This is actually referring to the seven facets or the seven attributes of that one spirit of God. Because the Bible says there's one baptism. There's one salvation, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. So if it says there's one spirit, why would there be now seven? It doesn't say seven, it says sevenfold sevenfold of the same one spirit. And here are those seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. Here they are. Isaiah 11, verse two. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in obeying the Lord. Those are the seven facets of the Holy Spirit. Anybody lost yet? All right, trying to just show you break down by break down what all this means. The other thing I want to point out here, it says that these elders were already clothed in white and they had crowns on their head, which means they were already judged before God. Now, let me just give you a quick a little cliff notes of the end of the world. Okay, here it is. When we die or when God takes us home, either one, whether you die before the rapture comes, you say, what is the rapture? More on that in a couple of weeks. We're going to explain like how the whole world ends. We're going to, we're going to get the last week of this is like literally how it all comes to an end and what actually happens, okay? But God will one day call us home as Christians. So either we will stand face to face before God that day, or if we die before that, we'll stand face to face before God on the day we die, okay? Now, in that moment, God's gonna ask you a question. Now, I wanna help you by giving you a little, don't you love teachers to give you a review before the final exam? So let me give you a review question for the final exam. Let me just help you right now. This is what God's gonna ask you so you're ready for the answer, okay? Here's who's gonna ask you. He's gonna look at you and he's gonna say this. What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? 
And at that moment, we'll either have to say, I, I didn't do anything with him. I, I, don't, I don't know him. And then God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then you will go to hell. Now, that may be an unpopular teaching, but that's what the Bible says, that there is hell, it's real, and it's forever. And we don't want you to go there. And this is exactly why our church is all about doing what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period, because hell is real and it's hot and I don't want you going there. So that's why we do what we do. So if you are not prepared to answer that, at the end of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And once you've done that, maybe you've already done it or maybe you're about to do it, then once you've received Christ, when God says, what have you done with my son? You can say, I received him as my Savior and my Lord. At that point, Jesus steps in and he says, Father, I know him. And so, and then he will wipe away all our sins. He says, all the sins are covered. And so Jesus will actually declare us perfect. Did you know that? He will declare us in that moment because we'll be sinless in the very presence of God. All those sins have been removed because Jesus will say, you are perfect. I just really want my wife to be somewhere near me <laughs> when I'm declared perfect. So I say, see, honey, I've been telling you. I don't know. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyways, the thing is this, is that we will all be declared perfect in that moment, right? And then Jesus will step up and say, yes, all their sins are covered. And then guess what? We're still judged, but we're now judged upon all the good we've done. Did you know that? So our crowns are based upon the good that we've done. My wife has a little phrase she says a lot. She says, oh, you're going to get a diamond in your crown for that. You're going to get a ruby. You're going to get a gemstone in your crown for that. Another, another crown for you. What she's saying is she's saying, you did that was so sweet that you did that. My wife is a very sweet person, so she always points out when someone does something nice. And so she's like, oh, that's so sweet. You're going to get a, a, a crown for that or, or a gemstone or, or a diamond in your crown. What she's saying is there's rewards in heaven for that. And it's really true. Let me ask you a question right now. When that, come, when that day comes, and, and yes, we're covered because of Christ, because of our sin, that's removed. But is there going to be any reward for you? Have you done anything for God? Or have you simply received Christ for forgiveness of your sin, but have you, have you gone beyond that? What have you done for the Lord? And so God will be singing that Janet Jackson song, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> have you done anything for God, right? We have to ask that if everyone below the age of 30 is like, who's that? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, the truth is that we will be judged for what we do. Let me just ask you, are you doing anything for God? Have you, have you ever given to the Lord, to his work? Have you ever blessed someone else? Have you ever forgiven someone when maybe they didn't deserve it because that's a, that's a good deed you do for the Lord. God says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Maybe, maybe next time you realize, you know, how am I using my schedule? Is it, when I look at my calendar, is everything on here about me or am I doing anything for other people? Am I, am I impacting anyone's lives? Am I serving in, in his, his house? In his church, am, am, I, am I doing his work? When's the last time you, you brought a tithe to God? You say, well, but if I tithe, I mean, I lose all that 100% of the money. I don't have that anymore. I lose it all. Actually, that's the only amount of money you actually still have. Everything you don't tithe, you lose. Because everything we have, none of it, we can't take any of it with us. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead by giving your time and your treasure and your talent to God using your abilities for God, serving, using your time to make a difference in people's lives. And so one day God will say, have you done anything for me? Have you impacted the kingdom in any way? People were going to hell around the world. Have you supported missions? People all around you are, 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 are going to hell and don't know Jesus. Have you brought anyone to church with you? Did you ever think about your neighbors, the people you work with? Did you ever go beyond yourself or was it just about you? Oh, I'm in, I'm saved. Have we ever gone beyond ourselves? The good news is if you have, you'll be rewarded for that. If you feel like you need to play a little catch up, nothing wrong with that. Say, okay, I want to start doing some good. I want to start making an impact. I want to start making a difference. 
I want to encourage you to, to begin to think differently and realize I will have reward in heaven for the things I do. I think it's cool too in verse five here, it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. Now, have you ever been near where, where lightning struck or where thunder struck? You ever been anywhere near it? Like, you know, like maybe it strikes in your backyard. Did it just scare you senseless how loud it was? Right? Has it ever happened to you where it was really close? You're like, whoa, that was crazy. That was close, right? It's kind of scary, right? It's just, it's so loud. That's where it hits. This says, this is where it originates from. So imagine you're a worshiper before God and out of the throne comes a rumbling of thunder. The lightning, boom! Imagine in that moment, the awe-inspiring, shocking, and even downright terrifying moment of being in that kind of presence of majesty and power. That's our God. That's our God. It's incredible who we worship. It's incredible what we get to be a part of. It goes on to say in Revelation, in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes from front to back. I thought about that. They have eyes in the back of their head. I wonder if my mom is one of the living beings. <laughs> this being has eyes in the back of their head. How many guys have a mom like that? You're like, yes, my mother had eyes in the back. She could see everything. It's crazy. Okay. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes from front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Ooh, how crazy is that? That's a lot of visine, man. That's crazy, right? It says, day, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Wow. So there's this four living beings. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Number three, the four living creatures represent the attributes of God. And so God knew that for us to understand him fully, we would need to see something that's descriptive to understand who he was, his very presence. So he had these beings created so he could explain his, his attributes, his character, his, the facets of God to us. So just, this is an amazing thing. You, you've got the father who's there. You've got the son who's our advocate. He sits at the right hand of the father. He is praying for you. He's leaning to God and saying, hey, consider my, my, my servant, Bill, right now. Could you help him right now? He's trying to preach a message about you, Lord. Could you just empower him? He is speaking to God on your behalf. Isn't that amazing? So you got the Father, you got the Son, you got the, the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit of God is there as well. Of course, in the presence of God, you're going to have all three. It'd be incomplete without that. But then we have some aspects of God. Let me explain these if I can. And so each, each being covered with eyes represents the omniscience and omnipresence of God. Here's what that means. That means omniscience means that he has the power to know everything. And omnipresence means he's everywhere. Now, the good news about him being everywhere is there's no place you can go that God cannot help you from. The bad news is that if you're trying to run from God, there ain't no place to go. He's everywhere. And so God, God's presence literally is everywhere. Now, let me break down the four different beings, what they mean. The first is the lion. The lion represents majesty. Another word for majesty is greatness. The lion represents majesty and omnipotence. That's kind of a hard word. What does omnipotence mean? Well, omnipotence. To be potent. Potence means strength. That's what that means. So I thought about, what's a good way to explain being omnipotent? 
It's like, you know, I love UFC fighters, and if you go look at some of the classics, some of the guys over the years, there's a guy named Royce Gracie, and some of you guys know that, that he was famous for being a good grappler. Like, like in the ring, he would get you on the ground. If he could get you on the ground, he would wrestle you down and you would lose. Like anyone that got on the ground with him, as soon as they fell to the ground and he was on the ground, everyone knew, the commentators are saying, oh, it's just a matter of time. He's going to beat him now because he was just so good on the ground. He'd find some random vein somewhere and the guy would be like, oh, tapping out. I mean, he'd just find something on him. You know, he just knew anatomy so well that he could get this guy on the ground and just take him out. He just every time. And then there's a guy named George St. Pierre. Some of you know who that is. He, he's good. He can grapple too, but he's really, his strength was boxing. He would just pound for pound, just punch you down. And so a guy like Royce Gracie wants to get you in the ground because his, his boxing game is okay, but he really was more of a grappler. Then the guy like Jordan St. Pierre is like, I can do the ground, but I'm really much better. I'm more potent as a fighter if I'm standing up and just boxing you. God is omnipotent. Doesn't matter what position you take him in, he will dominate. You name the position, he's got it. He is omnipotent. He is fighting for you. He is all powerful. Then the next one is the ox. The ox means faithful labor and patient. He's patient with us. And he's, he's faithful labor. An ox is something every farmer wants to have because you can just get a lot of work done with an ox. And so, you know, people even use this phrase, man, this guy works like an ox. It means he's always on time, faithful, getting it done. And I've got good news for you. God is working on your behalf. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, God is already working. He's been up working hours before you even got up uh, for you on your behalf. That problem, before, even, before that problem even comes into your life, God's already working on a solution for you. He's faithful, like an ox. Then the human face represents intelligence, which means he's all-knowing. But it also means God is constantly strategizing for you. For I know the, cl- the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you to give you a future and a hope. God is strategizing for you. You don't need to worry about the future. God's got your future. And so he has the intelligence. And then the eagle in flight represents the greatest bird. This represents sovereignty. This means he is in control. So as we are at the presence of God and we recognize that he is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-strength, all-in-control, working on our behalf, if all that's who God is and we're in his very presence and God is with us, then what in the world are we worried about? Why are we consumed with worry and fear? Because this God who can't be beat on the ground or standing, this God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, is working on your behalf right now. He has got you. Your God is in control. He hasn't left the throne. He's got you. You can trust in this God who loves you and who is there for you. He is all-powerful. You don't need to worry as you walk through the halls of your junior high. God's with you. As you face that legal battle, God's with you through that. As you deal with chemo, God's with you. As you're in the middle of that divorce, God's with you. God is with you whatever you're facing today. Whatever aspect or struggle or difficulty you have, you know there's an all-powerful, consuming God who is with you, never leaves you, never forsakes you. He is faithful and working for you like an ox. Revelation chapter four, verse nine, it says this. It says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So ever so often, these beings, the, the, the four creatures, as well as all the elders, get up 
and fall before God. But they don't just fall. When they do, when, when these 12 tribal leaders in the Old Testament, when these 12 apostles get up, when they stand up as the patriarchs of the word of God, when they stand up, they take off their crown, what God has rewarded them for. Those are their crowns. And they lay it before God's feet. I know among us there's some pretty successful people. Some of you are really good at what you do. Very talented. Some of you are paid well because you're good at something. Some of you have had your gifts recognized by the world. Some of you haven't. Either way, you still have gifts, talents and abilities, things that you just shine at. And that's wonderful. And I think it's great that you all have talents and abilities. I think it's great that you can use those talents and abilities to provide for your family, to be a blessing to others. Those are all great things. But all the gifts and accolades and talents that you and I have are to be laid at the feet of God. Because what gift do we have that didn't come from him? All that we have is, is his, it's for his glory. Some people may think, well, because of that, doesn't it kind of cheapen it to where like, I don't need to work as hard because it's not really mine anyways, it's all God's. Actually, that's why you work even harder because it's not for you, it's for God. See, once you understand who you're really working for, whether the boss is there or not, you stay busy because your boss is always there. You're there to honor him. You're there to worship him. You don't just work hard because you get noticed. You work hard because you're bringing a reward to God. You're saying, God, I wanna be all I can be for your glory and for your purpose. You know, everything I have in my life is from God. My health is from the Lord. My children, they're a gift from God. My wife is a gift from the Lord. My ministry is a gift from God. Everything I do, it's really all God's. How about you? Is there anything that you do that's really from you? Well, I mean, I know there's supernatural gifts, but some of these things I'm just naturally good at. Oh, you're naturally good at. So what part of your natural didn't come from God? Every part of us is supernaturally given by the Lord. So we have to lay it all at his feet. Always keep that in mind. All is the Lord's. It all belongs at his feet. Now, what this means, number four, is all our accomplishments will be laid at his feet. All that we overcome is for his glory. Now, before I read the last verse for the day, I have to tell you a story because I need to put this verse in context. There's one verse I'm going to read in a moment that is not just here where I read it, but it's all throughout the book of Revelation. It's used so often, I had to stop and say, why is this constantly used throughout the entire book? Repeatedly, again and again. And to understand who the author of Revelation is, is to understand why he would write this. John, the apostle, is the author of this. John did a lot, by the way, and, and, and he was a really powerful uh, guy. He, he, he was just great in the eyes of God, and, and, and Jesus trusted him, which says a lot about someone. Jesus is on the cross. He looks at John and says, hey, John. He points to Mary, his mother, and he says, that's now your mother. Mother, that's now your son. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, John, will you take care of my mom, please? Wow. That's quite a task, isn't it? There's some people in here today that are having to take care of their parents. I wonder if the reason why John lived to a ripe old age is because the Lord would not let him go before his mother went. I wonder if God knew how honoring it is of the Lord when you take care of your parents. Some of you just need to know there's a God seeing that and he honors you. No one else may see it, but I want you to know right now, God knows you're being a good son. God knows you're being a good daughter. Taking care of your folks. That's an honorable thing. Can we take a moment and clap for those who no one even knows is doing that right now? 
and give them honor. You deserve it. John's 80-something years old, and something happens that's pretty profound in his life that changed everything. In fact, this is not recorded in the Bible. It's recorded in history, though. Tertullian wrote about this in his book. Tertullian was a first-century author. He was a first-century historian and a church father, which means that after the book of Acts, after Christ, after Christ has ascended to heaven, after the apostle Paul has lived his life and died for his faith, John continues. He's the only living apostle that was not killed for his faith. They tried. It just didn't work. In fact, I'd like to tell you about that. So John ended up in Rome. Rome was, became the center of Christianity pretty quick. And, and, but, but the problem with that was that Nero, the king of Rome, didn't like this because kings have this funny way of thinking they're God. And so that's why kings did not like this Jesus talk. They didn't like about whoever this person is. Everyone's saying that's their God and they're worshiping him and, and honoring him. And I, I'm the one you're supposed to honor, not this Jesus guy. And so they all hated Christians. In fact, Rome burned to the ground Almost the entire town burned to the ground and Nero blamed the Christians for it. There was no real evidence of that. They, he just wanted to blame them because he hated them. And so just like Hitler blamed everything on the Jews back in the day, well, Nero blamed everything on the Christians. And so because of that, many Christians were killed. In fact, Nero's favorite thing to do, his favorite pastime was to gather Christians up, put them in the Colosseum and have them killed publicly. And he was very creative at it. He would have lions starve for a week and throw them in with the Christians and watch them eat them alive. He would burn him at the stake. He did all kinds of horrible things that you would never do to someone. He did it, and he would fill stadiums full of people, bloodthirsty fans, if you will, would watch Christians be killed. And they would do this so that Nero could say, you see, that's what happens if you become a Christian. You don't want to do that. This is what will happen to you. Eventually, Nero died. Another guy took over named Domitian. Domitian was just as evil as Nero. Domitian also loved to kill Christians. In fact, his favorite thing to do was to find people that were related to famous Christians and kill them publicly. Like he, he loved it when he found a cousin of the brother of Christ and, and he was able to kill him publicly. When he found people who were anywhere related to Christ or any of the apostles, he'd love to kill them publicly. Well, Domitian found out that John was still alive. He's like, who's this John guy? Oh, he's one of the apostles. He's one of the 12? Well, let's find him. Perfect. He represents all of who Christ is. Let's take him out. So finally, they found John. John was in his 80s at this point in Rome. Domitian had an idea. He said, you know what? I want to hear him squeal. So he heated up boiling oil. He boiled oil. He gathered hundreds of people, if not thousands, around to watch this. And many came out because they, they many were there because the king demanded it. Many were there because they supported John secretly, but didn't want the king to know. And John was put on a plank with a pot of boiling oil below him. Oil does not boil when it boils, it actually steams. And so John was on that platform. Tertullian tells us that he walked the platform and when he got to that point where the soldiers were gonna lower him in that, lower him in that boiling oil, he knew, oh, I know how to shut this guy up. I'll boil him to death in front of everybody. They thought that'll stop his preaching. Well, John's up on the platform and he starts to preach. And as he's walking that platform, he's beginning to say, repent, turn to Jesus. He's the only way. He's the real son of God. He rose again. And he's preaching this all the way up to the platform. They begin to lower him in. And as they're lowering him in, as soon as it touches his feet, as soon as he feels that steam, as soon as he feels that oil, he'll begin to scream in pain. But they saw his feet begin to dip in and he kept preaching anyways. And they thought, this guy has an unbelievable pain tolerance. He kept going and going and he wouldn't stop preaching until he was completely covered in oil. And he kept saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they realized that his skin was fine that God had protected him and the oil did not burn him at all. And everyone received Christ in that moment. They gave their life. 
So what Domitian meant to kill John actually became the greatest witness in Rome. They actually built a chapel in Rome where this happened. To this day, you can go see it to where he didn't die. And Domitian realized, I can't kill him. He won't die. So he said, pull him out and send him to the Isle of Patmos, get rid of him. And from that standpoint, John, who overcame torture and death and left unscathed, wrote these words. And Revelation 2, verse 7, and all the way through to Revelation 21, over and over again, he wrote this, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. You know who he's talking to? You. He's saying to you right now, in the middle of this tragedy you're facing, he's saying to you who overcomes. Right now, to the person who's in bankruptcy, to you who overcomes, the one who's dealing with a wayward child, to you who overcomes, the one who is struggling with no confidence, to you who overcomes. Whatever you're facing, God is saying to you loud and clear today, you will overcome because I have overcome the world. His power from his majestic, all-powerful throne is available to you and me. And yet we act so sheepish as if we are just done and we just can't conquer this and we've finally been, been tested to the point where we're done and we just can't. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. No, you can overcome. John the Revelator, John the apocalyptic book writer says, oh, no, 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 no. Trust me, I've been there. Oh, you don't know how bad. Well, I don't know, have you been boiled in oil lately? <laughs> then you can overcome. And yes, there's examples all through the Bible where people were martyred for their faith and God did not spare them in that moment. That's because moments later, God honored them for it, for being a martyr. So either way, you need to know, in the end, we overcome. By the end of this series, you'll know that even the scary stuff of Revelation that we think, oh, that's crazy, I don't want that to happen to me. No, 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 you overcome. I want to encourage you to be here for the whole series, but right now, I just want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes in this time of prayer, because I believe God is speaking to you today. He's saying you can overcome whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling, whatever you're dealing with. God says you have the power in you. You have the sevenfold power of God, the omnipotent ability to overcome and fight and win because there's a God who's fighting for you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you needed to hear that today, would you lift your hand high to God and worship and just say, God, I just worship you and I thank you that you got me. I thank you that I can trust you. Lord, you know what's happening in my life. I thought I came to hear some crazy stuff about Revelation. I didn't know God was going to tell me. I got you to him who overcomes. Thank you, God. You are our all-powerful, all-knowing, in-control God. And I thank you for that. Give your problem to God. Trust in him. You will see this through. You will overcome. That problem you have has an expiration date and it will expire before you do. You'll overcome. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you never accepted Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Remember that final exam question? This is it. Would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior right now? We'd love for you to. We'd love to lead you in this prayer. You can become a Christ follower right now by praying this very simple prayer with us. Would you pray this prayer? You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray.
Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.